Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Let's get you some great tasting coffee to help you start your day off right. Whether you're shopping for coffees, teas, syrups, mixes, mugs, gift cards, and more, when you get to checkout, enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 to get 20% off your first purchase of the delicious coffee that helps Nick and I get through these episodes. Head to our sponsors at FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, Marjorie Taylor Greene wants a national divorce. Professor Andrew Koppelman from Northwestern University and author of the book, Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed, joins us in the next segment. And in our final segment, Nick and I want to talk a little bit more. We've got two topics. We'll put five minutes on the clock Nick and I will get to share our takes about two topics that are making news out there right now. Um, speaking of burning down the house, Nick, uh, the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff is in my head. Um, before I say hello to you, I want to talk a little bit at the top here because I've been getting a couple of text messages. We've been getting a bunch of different uh, emails from folks at the Fox News segment that we had uh, last week, the Fox News uh, show that we did, obviously, about the lawsuit, there was some recent news that broke with Rupert Murdoch's testimony about saying, hey, listen, you know, these are just my hosts that are saying it. You know, it's not the network's position. And knowingly that these he admitted in his testimony that it's really these people. It's not the position of the network. He knew it was a lie, but these folks were continuing to do it. Uh, I want to clarify real quick one thing, Nick. I, I, now let me get your take on it as well, too. Um, a few people were. um bewildered, let's say, that I used the word propaganda and and didn't attribute Fox News to being propaganda. When I think of propaganda, I think of conventional um, North Korean state TV, Russia state TV. 
Uh, we've had uh, Andrew uh, Andrew Clement, uh, excuse me, Alex Clement on the program from G Zero Media, and he, he did a story about the last uh, free, and I'm using air quotes for people watching on YouTube, um, television-owned station in Russia recently got bought out by the government. That means the government controls every television station there. When I think of propaganda, I think of that. Like Fox News hasn't bought out CNN and MSNBC. And also Rupert Murdoch is not a member of Congress. He's not the president of the United States. He's not any of those things in the hierarchy of our federal government. So I, I think of propaganda a little bit different than that. And clearly the Fox lawyers have made those same arguments in the court of law, right? Like no one would take this person serious. This is not really propaganda, blah, 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 blah. Um, So I wanted to clarify that because I know people were a little bit more of like, Fox News is propaganda. We've gotten comments like that whenever we've had a Fox person on. Why would you put this propaganda on? And it's like using the P word to me is like a sacred thing. Like you got to use P word when it's really talking about in the truest sense, right? Russia, Cuba, which I know you'll get into, North Korea, things like that, to me, are propaganda. All right. I say hello to you now and about the topic as well, too. What what else is going on? man? There's a lot going on out there in the world. But I just thought that was important because I've been getting text messages, emails, and I was like, you know what? I'll make a clarifier at the top of the show. Propaganda to me is Kim Jong-un, uh, or, uh, the father. I forget his father's name. Uh, there was a famous story that he shot a fi- minus 54 on a golf course. And it's been like told down legendary things. And it's like that, folks, that's propaganda. Like le- it's impossible to shoot a minus 54 under. Like it's, it, it's incredibly impossible. But it's a tale that's been told throughout all of North Korean lore that is propaganda because it was told through everything that the government owns there. Like Fox News is not doing that. We're not embellishing Rupert Murdoch's traits that he doesn't have. What do you think of that, Nick? I know you're cracking up over here. I'm doing the math for a second because I can't help it. So if he shot up minus 54, so par 72, right? Yeah. yeah, It depends on the course. Right. All right. We'll say, let's say on average 72. So if you're at 72, you'd zero out, which means you're, you hit, you shot for par. If my man, (laughs) The negative fifty-four. You can't do it, Nick. Nick, you can't do it. It's it's it's, it's, it's no, it's impossible. Like the lowest, the lowest golf score is you know, uh, I think you know, a 58, 59. Like those are like the low scores. Not what you know, fifty-four under is impossible. But anyway, go ahead. I get well. The only no, you could actually get away with technically speaking because that means he hit a hole in one on all eighteen. If that exactly, that is, is right, correct. Anyway, um, no, we're 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 good. We are waiting for we're waiting for warmer weather, like most people in the Northeast and throughout the country, actually. And as a Not side me. note, by the way, we're seeing you know out in California, you know in the Midwest, just you know just freaky weather patterns happening as we get ready to close winter. Uh, as I'm talking to you all today, we still got we have some snow there. Is coming through in Pennsylvania. I sound like a meteorologist right now, but I was going to say, yeah, things things are good here. Um, You know, to the to what you just talked about a moment ago, and I'm I'm guilty of that too. I've never used I've never used the word propaganda because I'm I'm familiar enough with the concept that as a privately owned company, privately owned media company, which Leah Media Network also is too. Shut up. um, Any of these private institutions can put forward any content they want to. As a citizen, you have choices. If you do not like Fox, you go take your business on down the road to CNN, MSNBC, or wherever. Um, when you say something like that, and the reason I think about Cuba is we've talked about your dad's upbringing before. 
And you and I are both fans of Dan Lebertar, who has talked about his father and his mother's upbringing. And to anyone who's not familiar with the story of just almost any Cuban refugee, it's a fascinating, it's fascinating because again, this is happening. I mean, this is part of our nation's history. When you look at the development of Miami, for example, but also, you know, when you think about, you think about Cuba in the 1950s, you know, with the toppling of the government and the, the launch of the Castro regime, when you think about national messaging, the only message that you get, you know, I think about you and I think about your dad and I think about what that experience is like so much so that people are willing to risk their lives to leave that country. As much as people may not like Fox News and, I, and count me among them, I recognize the fact that they don't necessarily inform the national discourse that they do. And we talked about this on the last episode and Mike did an excellent job of separating the different people who work at that organization. If you are influenced by their opinion makers or by any opinion maker, any on any network, I would ask you, plead with you, implore with you all the same word I know to be more literate to read more, to be exposed to different opinions, whether you agree with it or not, but to let opinion people decide for you. Again, of one, only one media company, it seems like a missed opportunity, but to try to liken it to what happens in Russia, in China, and Cuba, and any under any authoritarian country, one is to spit in the face like Mike's father, but two, it's to also tell any informed citizen like Mike and I, that you really don't understand how good you got it in the United States. Yep. No, I totally agree. I've said that a bunch about conflating terms. And like, if you really think that this is communism, if you really think that this is, you know, anti-freedom or whatever uh, different buzzword they're going to use, may I drop you off, uh, you know, in, in Havana and, and see if you survive over there. And, and, and the people that are leaving there just to come here, take menial jobs because they know that their life would improve coming over here. All right. Speaking of uh, this episode, which will probably be titled burning down the house because nobody wants to burn down the house more Nick than Marjorie Taylor Greene. She wants a national divorce. She wants it now. She says, let's get this done. Okay. What does a national divorce entail? You would think civil war, right? Nick, that's where everybody's go-to is. Let's let the Congresswoman, let's, let's let her for a couple minutes here tell you about her plan of a national divorce. Take a listen to this. In my life, in my world, I all of my friends are regular Americans. Everyone I talk to is sick and tired and fed up of being bullied by the left, abused by the left, and disrespected by the left. And our ideas, our policies, our ways of life have become so far apart that it's just coming to that point. And the last thing I ever want to see in America is a civil war. Um, no one wants that, at least everyone I know would never want that. But it's going that direction, and we have to do something about it. We're also a nation, a crumbling nation. We're a nation in distress. Our government is in complete failure, over $34 trillion. We are on the verge of default, and we have to do something about that. But that was the right and the left that did that to the American people on their own. So wait a minute. She's blaming the right and the left for that? Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, she mentions a budge there. And she tweeted out a huge thread that if you haven't seen it over the last couple of days has been examined by everybody and their mother under the sun that does news and politics coverage. 
She said in this Twitter thread that reducing the federal government would be easy because states would completely control things like education, trade, commerce, and communications to a much larger degree, and the federal government to a much smaller degree. We would immediately alleviate the need for departments like the Department of Education, and education would look differently all over the country. In red states, there would be varying degrees of more traditional public schooling. A um, bunch of different stuff there. Again, free country. You want to read about this. You can check out her tweets over on Twitter. And there's a great column over on the USA Today from author Rex Hupek. I hope I'm saying his last name properly. That he talks about this national divorce and he says, hey, let's do it. Let's get one. You want to split everything up? The red states that have lackadaisical uh, gun laws and open carries. Hey, you can have your guns and there you go. The blue states where the traditional military companies are located and obviously the military support, those would be in the blue states. So we would keep the military while you guys keep access to those guns. There's a bunch uh, in this. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is because not only is it getting so much attention, there's an audience that's craving this and understanding it. And it's being amplified even more. Sean Hannity had her on at nine o'clock on his nine o'clock show to talk about this. The talking points across the big networks, and we just mentioned Fox News at the top, we're all examining this as if it's news. And again, we can get into that debate, but it is news because she's a member of Congress. And right now, everyone knows that Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of holds the power over Kevin McCarthy's head. One vote. All it takes is one vote where Speaker McCarthy doesn't agree on, and they can relinquish his role as Speaker of the House. Um Nick, I want to get some of your thoughts there. You heard what she said there and how absurd this plan is. We're going to get to it in a sec. Uh, in our next segment, obviously, Professor Koppelman as well, too, we asked him about this because, again, he, he wrote a book about not so much this subject matter, but about government regulation. Should the government be involved in every single aspect of life? Um, there were some reasons why he wrote that book because of some things that were being done at the federal level that that you know settled law was being changed. And he's like, I have to write something about this. Uh, Green is proposing a bunch of different things that well, on the surface make no sense. I would love to get your takes, especially the Department of Education one that she talked about. I know you've been critical about at times, but what do you make of everything that Marjorie Taylor Greene has mentioned in this proposal for a national divorce? I don't even know how we would go about implementing this, Nick, other than to say, ready, set, go. But what do you make of everything that the Congresswoman has said? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where to start with this, man. It's First and foremost, let's talk about this. And we talk about members of Congress a lot on this show. We talk about any politicians. So Marjorie Taylor Greene is a member of is a congressional representative. She's a member of the House of Representatives for District of Georgia. I don't have my numbers in front of me. I forget what district she's a part of, but I know Four, she's in thank 14, you. 14, 14, district thank 14. You. So my first question is to Representative Greene, what in the hell does this do for your district? Like, do, does your district's needs, are they met by this national divorce that you're talking about? You know, anyone like her, any member, any political, any any elected official where my tax dollars are going, right? <laughs> where anyone's tax dollars who listen to the show, we help to fund this foolishness. What in the world does this do for for a district or for this country? Now, and really what I bring this up as is because this is the move that she makes. Her, Lauren Boebert, even sometimes folks on the fringe left as well do this. Or you'll just basically come up with BS and just throw it off the wall and see if it sticks. Let's just say the most ludicrous thing to get attention. 
because let's not forget in the age of Twitter, the some of the most popular people on Twitter are actually politicians like her. So this is what you do. You don't come up with policy. Like this isn't a policy matter. This is just, hey, let's just have a national divorce. And like you just said, Mike, a moment ago. So how does this actually work? Because, you know, it's funny that this is a, a formerly Confederate state that says this. So, you know, at least the Confederacy, at least they had the decency to just do it. Right. The Confederacy is a bunch of losers. <laughs> They're a bunch of bigots. They're a bunch of losers. They are a national disgrace. But at least they had the decency to walk. You know, Lincoln wins the election and they say, you know, what? we're going to take our ball and go home. That's fine. And then they had their asses handed to them. So is that she now she says she doesn't want a civil war, which great. OK, fine. Um, but in this idea of basically breaking apart the country, I wonder if she's at all paying attention to how does this work financially? Because when she says something like education, the Department of Education for the state of Georgia or for any 50 state can only go so far. I've said this rant on this show a lot, and I'm going to keep it here. Part of our problem as a country with education is you've got 50 states, 50 different sets of standards. We're never, we're never going to evolve our educational system until that's actually addressed. But that's not for this, that's not for this place. That will hopefully be for another place in our podcast airwaves. But as I say all this, I wanted to take this to some numbers for a second. So what I'm looking at is for I'm looking over a tax admin over over the website taxadmin.memberclicks. So and it's just a simple table. And all it tells me is that you know, per state, what states pay the most in taxes and where they rank. And you know, what's interesting here is you ask yourself, you know, who pays who's paying the most? So states like California, states like Texas, you know, state like Georgia's in the middle of the pack. They actually rank uh 44, right? Uh California ranks California actually ranks three. So Georgia actually is. You know, not really one of the higher ranking states when it comes to what they're paying back out. But on the flip side, if you go to moneygeek.com and you ask yourself, what states take the most money back? Let's talk about taxation for a second. As a state, now I live in the state of Pennsylvania. Mike lives in the state of Florida. You know, we're almost at tax time, folks. It's it's soon to be March 1st. So about six weeks, you know, April 15th comes along that lovely time of the year. Well, when you pay your when you pay your taxes, when you fill out your 1040, you know, that's money going back to the federal government that goes to different programs, to all these things, whether you agree with it or not. So the question you ask yourself is as a state, you pay all this in taxes, what does the federal government send back to you? Well, over at over at MoneyGeek, there's a ra- there's a ranking, you know, in terms of states that actually receive the highest percentage of federal funding for state revenue, which is to say that you pay a certain amount, but you get back a significant amount. So for example, for every dollar, the state of New Mexico actually gets $3.69 back from the federal government. The state of West Virginia, for every dollar, gets back $3.09. Of the first 10 states, I'm going to just read them to you very quickly. I want you to see if you could pick up on a trend here. New Mexico, in order, New Mexico, West Virginia, Mississippi, Alaska, Kentucky, Vermont, Montana, Arizona, Maine, Alabama. In case you are keeping score at home, of those states, seven of those 10 states, most dependent on the federal government, were Republican voting, with the average red state receiving $1.05 for every dollar, receiving $1.05 for every dollar spent. So there's a plus there. So when she says 
with Representative Green talks about the national divorce. The first question I'm going to say is, well, first thing I'm going to tell her is, never mind my take. Go talk to the governor of Georgia. Ask Governor Brian Kemp how he feels about that. And when he laps your silly ass out of the statehouse, where are you going to go crying to next? Where do you take this insanity to? Because as a member of the House of Representatives or a member of the Senate, at the end of the day, if you're going to talk about what your state can do, you got to go talk about that with the governor of the state or even the state legislature. So the state of Georgia, if any members of the fine state of Georgia are listening to this show and you also subscribe into this national divorce nonsense, don't talk about it. Be about it. Go ahead and walk away. Walk away. Turn back your federal dollars. I, as a taxpayer, have no problem not paying Georgia anything. I certainly don't have a problem paying any red state. Currently, if I'm going to go ahead and play this play this little game, you know what? I want my money to not go to states that ban abortions. I don't want my money going to states that are trying to make it harder for people to pursue to pursue any form if, if they are transgender, any medical procedures in support of them. I don't want my money going there. So what are we going to do? Funny enough, the state I used to live in, my birth state, New Jersey, actually receives the least amount of taxes. So they would be a state that I would totally understand saying, you know what? Let's just walk. <laughs> what is the point of this? Why, why be here? Same thing with a state like California. But those states tend not to. You know why? Because they have a better idea of what to do with their federal bleeping money. A state like Georgia, like Alabama, like Kentucky, Side note to Kentucky, by the way, you'll notice that Senator Mitch McConnell has nothing to say about this because he's not a moron. So when she says these things, go ahead, just go get to the state house and see what you can do and pick up your arms and leave and continue to, I guess, be bitter about General Sherman just setting fire to the city of Atlanta. I don't know what her problem is, but she is a moron. And this is what morons say when they don't actually have any policies to put forward. I agree on that front about the policy part, because I heard nothing. And especially in the interviews that she's done, she mentioned a bunch of different numbers and figures there that just don't add up. Maybe she was talking about total debt or something like that. But here's my issue. And we've talked about it a couple of times on this show with different people uh, from a host on a television network to somebody who's written a book about the, the coming crisis in, in Jared Yates Sexton is that there's a faction of people out there that are listening to this and believing it. And then the traction that it gets picked up because it gets amplified by mainstream outlets, just like the New York Times, Newsweek, all of these are writing about this idea. And then if you if you know history a little bit, at least over the last seven to eight years, things tend to catch wildfire, whether it be conspiracy theories, which she is a byproduct of as somebody who used to put content on YouTube. And now all of a sudden she's in a, as a member of Congress when she believes in things that are very conspiratorial in nature. Um, in 2016, two Oregonians submitted a petition that Oregon succeed from the United States. Okay. In uh, 2016, during the election cycle between Trump and former uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton, more than half of Texans polled who supported Trump supported seceding from the United States if Clinton won the election. This was an article and done by The Hill in terms of polling. In 2018, Rasmussen, a big American polling company, they did a poll that 42% of U.S. voters feared a civil war would occur in the next five years. And in that report, Democrats were more fearful than Republicans that a civil war was on the horizon. Um, in a June 2021 poll by Brightline Watch and YouGov found that 66% of Southern Republicans supported leaving the United States and forming a new country. 
And by the way, 47% of Democrats that live in Western states supported a division. That's a very high number and alarming. So, you know, I wrestled with, did I want to cover this and talk about this? Because again, member of Congress who we feel is not genuine, uh, talking about something that is nonsensical. There's no way to follow through on this, like I said, unless we start, yeah, all right, everybody set, go, run to your states. Um, And I don't know how that would be practical. And here we are, mainstream outlets covering it, and we devoted attention to it as well. And again, I apologize to my audience uh, for doing that, but I do think it's important because these are things that are being talked about. And, and, and now maybe I'm coming around, Nick, the fringe elements I've, I've argued and maintained on this show, people like this that live on these fringes, we should be pushing them further away to like just pushing them out to the exteriors, making sure that everyone knows that they believe in this ideology from their from their LinkedIn profile to everything. I don't care if it ruins what they have going. They don't believe in things that are right, wrong, not R&D. They don't believe in things that are right, wrong. So why should you work at the company that I work at? How would I trust you as a coworker if you don't believe in things that are right and wrong? We're not talking about policy because I didn't mention any policy there from Marjorie Taylor Greene because there isn't any to mention. We're talking about right, wrong. And that's the problem I have. And and pushing these people further away to the fringes is something I truly believe in. But I got to be honest, now I'm coming around to it when you see polling data that has been done. And again, polling is smaller samples. You don't know how many people were uh, surveyed for those these polls. But now you're seeing this, that other people are talking about it because it's in mainstream publications from Newsweek, Atlantic, New York Times, everyone's doing an op-ed about it. We're covering it right now and talking about it. And it's allowing people to sit with this notion of, man, maybe this would be a good idea. Maybe there is. I can't speak to if there's any ground swelling for it, but I'm just saying it gives people the inclination that maybe this is being discussed and maybe this will happen. What would this look like? Um, We leave it there because nothing's going to come from that (laughs) as we continue to do this show. But if it does, We'll be covering it. All right. When we come back after the break, Professor Andrew Koppelman is a fantastic uh, constitutional law professor over at Northwestern University. I am very jealous because I wish I had this man teaching me constitutional law. I wish I should have gone back and done some constitutional law classes, uh, Nicholas, and gone to law school like I truly wanted to. But he's the author of a great book called Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed. You can go get the book wherever books are sold. Professor Koppelman, when we come back after the break. 
This episode is brought to you by Kitcaster. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here, tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk. You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can, you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you can choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee but you get a discount for being a listener of can we please talk all you got to do is enter in the promo code can we get 20 at checkout to get 20 percent off your first purchase head to freshroastedcoffee.com today all right i'm really excited for our next guest joining us here he's a professor of constitutional law over at northwestern university but he's written a fantastic book that Nick and I happened to receive recently, and it's it's just a great read. And we've talked a lot about this subject matter on this show. So nobody better than an expert we bring in, Nick. Uh, Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed is the name of the book. You can go get it wherever books are sold. And that is Professor Andrew Koppelman. Professor Koppelman, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for uh, hopping on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. You know, I got to tell you, we were, we were talking about this off air. I'll bring it over here. Um, we're going to get into a bunch with the book and the story at the beginning of the book that is a moral and economic dilemma. More on that in just a second. But why don't you, for our audience, uh, tell us a little bit about what made you want to write a book about libertarianism overall? Well, I teach constitutional law. And uh, when the first federal court decisions came down, striking down the Obamacare statute as unconstitutional. I had occasion to read them. I thought that they were extremely strange as constitutional law. These are federal district courts, uh, Republican appointees, who I thought were just making the law up, and it was obviously wrong given existing law. And uh, so I blogged about it, and then more decisions came down, and I blogged about those, and I ended up writing a book which was called uh, The Tough Luck Constitution and the Assault on Healthcare Reform, arguing, because this is what I found out in my research, 
that there was a group of libertarian lawyers who basically were trying to import their own conception of liberty into the Constitution, where it actually wasn't. And uh, so the book basically tried to tell the story of how that lawsuit happened. And after I was finished with the book, I just found that I had unfinished business with libertarianism. In the course of writing the book, I tried to understand libertarianism. I tried to understand what it was. And I found that there weren't any books out there that weren't written by enthusiasts. And so I thought that there was a need for a critical account just for the general reader of what is libertarianism? Where does it come from? What are the varieties of it? Uh, you know, how much sense does it make? Um, I mean, it seems like libertarianism is an important enough set of ideas that there ought to be a book like that. And I thought that it was strange that there wasn't. You know, I want to get into because there's a bunch you just said there and a bunch in the book. And we're going to get into you know, about the United States just being a two political, two political party system, excuse me, and uh, your thoughts about that. I want to get your thoughts on that in a bit. But the book, the opening of the book, I alluded to it before. It starts about this story about a town that kind of privatized their fire department. Citizens had to cut deal with the fire department, pay a fee. And then something happens. We got you covered with the insurance. And this one guy forgot to do it in 2010. Uh, mm -hmm. He had been doing it for forever. Fire happens at his house. They call 911. The fire department doesn't come. They say, you know, unfortunately, you didn't pay your bill this month. The family's offering to pay for it. It's a wild story, but I also think it's a microcosm for what is happening right now in America. Sometimes we blame the victim for not doing their part about being victimized. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that story overall and how it feeds into libertarianism? Well, so uh, Obion County, Tennessee, decided that it would essentially privatize its fire protection by contracting with a nearby town where each resident would pay a fee, exactly as you said. And uh, Gene Cranick had paid the fee every year, and Cranick is getting old. He forgot, and his house caught fire, and he called the fire department, and uh, he was told, sorry, you didn't pay your fee. He said, well, you know, I'll pay whatever it costs. Please put out the fire. And they just wouldn't. They came and uh, because his neighbors had paid the fee, they wanted to make sure that the fire didn't spread to the neighbor's house. But they stood and they watched his house burn down. And this produced uh, controversy in the press. Because And uh, there were people on the left and the people on the right who agreed that this was the true face of libertarianism, that uh, there are people on the right who said, you know, we just need to have more of this. People need to take more responsibility. And people on the left who said, this is what libertarianism amounts to. This is why it's repellent. What we need to do is get rid of this minimal government stuff and have a government devoted to people and not profits. And uh, as I was as I learned about libertarianism in the course of writing the book about the healthcare case, I found that libertarianism actually comes in flavors. And in its original form, it would not have stood by and let the house burn down. That was a later development that uh, just libertarianism comes in varieties. And so there was a story to be told about how it evolved into this very strange form that wouldn't help people uh, who were having really terrible, unforeseen misfortunes. And at the time, you know, this was 2010, people were arguing about this case, but what they were really arguing about was Obamacare. Everybody understood that that was what was really at stake because it was the same thing. You know, somebody experiences a misfortune, unforeseen, but catastrophic. And, you know, in many societies, the society would come and help you out. And uh, there was a vision of liberty being offered that said, well, in a free society, that's your tough luck. 
we leave you to your fate. And you know, one thing I have in common with the libertarians is we both believe in freedom. We both believe that people should have control of their lives. I don't think that you promote freedom by leaving people to their fate. I think that that's a mistaken understanding of what human freedom is. So you're, you, to that point, your book read as, as though we were exploring an idea that at some point took a wrong turn. Yeah. And in your view, when you think of the evolution of this concept of libertarianism, especially at a time where both political parties have a very fringe element that mm -hmm. seems to play with the word freedom very, mm -hmm. we'll say, uh, creatively, where do we stand on what we define as the as the libertarian in 2023? Well, at the essence of libertarianism, as I understand it, is the idea that human freedom will be promoted if we shrink government down to an absolute minimum. That is, they believe in human freedom and they have a strategy for achieving it. And the way to achieve it is to minimize government services. You want fire departments, privatize it. You want health care, privatize it. If you don't have the money to pay for those things, that's your tough luck because it's not the government's business. That's basically what libertarianism amounts to in its various forms. Deep doubt about whether government has any legitimate role besides basic police protection. Some libertarians are actually doubtful about even that, and they want to privatize that as well. You know, in your book, there is a, a an excerpt that reads, you know, the libertarians believe that so long ago, we do not violate others' rights. And we should each be free to live as we choose. Mm -hmm. At this time in, in 2023, when we think about both political parties, where do you see both parties reconciling or not reconciling with that sentiment? Um, well, the Democrats seem pretty clearly opposed to it. One of the things that uh, the uh, one of the things that Biden is trying to do in uh, the uh, very major legislation that he just passed is to, uh, you know, provide a larger scale government services and a lot of, I mean, if there's a massive expansion of Obamacare, there's a massive expansion of green energy, more than the private sector was providing. And the basic idea here is that uh, there are worthwhile things for government to do that will actually make people more free to live the lives that they want. So Biden is pretty clearly opposed to Obamacare, and the Republicans are divided. Uh, there are some of them who are quite libertarian. They are certainly libertarian in their attitude toward taxes. Uh, you know, the one thing that they can get together on is more tax cuts. Every time they get into power, more tax cuts. Uh, they are split about government services. Some of them very badly would like to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, but uh, you know, their basic problem is that the voters don't want that, that Americans actually do expect that these government services are going to be available and lots of others. Uh, so the Republicans have got a problem with their small government talk because it's clear that if they ever actually delivered on it, a lot of them wouldn't get reelected. Speaking of uh, burning down the house, uh, I wanted to ask you because we talked about it in our first segment, uh, and I hate to ask this question like this because I mean we don't neither Nick and I think that this person is a serious uh, congressional person, but Marjorie Taylor Greene has a plan for a national divorce uh, in this country, citing a bunch of different things that are already in states' purviews that they could do and would not need the federal government for. For example, the Department of Education, as uh, somebody who is teaching young minds right now. Mm -hmm. Professor Koppelman, what do you think of Marjorie Taylor Greene's nonsensical national divorce uh, policy? Uh, 
I, well, I have to admit, I have not made a close study of Congressman Green's plan, so I can't talk about it in any detail. That's a good I idea. can say that uh, the idea that you're going to take various departments of the federal government and devolve each of them on the states, with respect to quite a lot of what the federal government does, there are economies of scale and there is a level of expertise that the federal government has that the states can't duplicate. And some of the biggest successes of the federal government have been, uh, you know, uh, laws like the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act, which uh, you know have really important local consequences. Uh, one of the uh, I recently read in the paper that uh, in Washington D.C., the Potomac River, which used to be so dirty that you really didn't want to even stick your finger in it, it was that bad. That it is now clean enough that the city is planning on creating some beaches. Just absolutely remarkable. Uh, in New York Harbor they recently saw dolphins. That's not something <laughs> that you used to see in New York Harbor. So these are, but figuring out questions like, well, you know, which chemicals are toxic? Exactly what do you need to maintain wetlands? Uh, you know, I mean, these, uh, these are questions that you really need a pretty substantial scientific bureaucracy to figure out. Breaking it out into 50 little bureaucracies in each one of the individual states uh, is likely to give you less effective government services, although that might be the point. One of the points that I make in the book, and when I say uh, that uh, libertarianism is sometimes corrupted, uh, libertarian theory is typically deployed by two very different kinds of people. Uh, one, and I have a lot of friends who are like this, are sincere idealists who honestly believe that shrinking government is going to make people freedom. The other uh, type of libertarian are people in business who would like to be able to hurt other people without being bothered by the police. And the polluters are definitely in that second category. They like small government. They don't like being subjected to environmental regulation. It costs the money. Professor, you actually just kind of walked into the question I was going to ask you. So imagine for a moment, and I don't know how you feel about this, but let's say you're at a dinner party. And mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about people asking you what you do and if you want to get into it. But let's say you do. Uh, sure. And someone upon hearing this familiar with the book says, well, they consider themselves a libertarian. Mm -hmm. Professor, what questions would you ask that person to see if that person was actually being serious or knowledgeable of of the of the affiliation that they speak of? Mm -hmm. Well, I uh, libertarians come in a number of varieties. What motivates people to be libertarians varies. The most fundamental difference is that some people think that libertarianism is just a matter of right, that government is robbing you whenever it uh, taxes you at all. Some of these folks are basically anarchists. There are other people who are thinking about consequences. They are thinking about uh, you know, why free markets are good, why the absence of people can sort things out for themselves. They'll tell a story about corrupt or incompetent government. So the first question I'll ask is, what kind of libertarian are you? So when somebody asks me, tells me they're a libertarian, I want to know more about what do you mean by that and why? Professor, uh, before we let you go, I did want to ask you one question here that we were talking about at the beginning of the program, mm -hmm. which was you mentioned it as well during the interview that you were uh, learning more about these Obama cases uh, dur mm -hmm. during the Obamacare yeah. stuff. And 
you started to realize that some of this stuff is wrong and some of this stuff has been settled law. It's been 200 plus years. Mm-hmm. Are we relitigating some of this stuff? And you discuss in the book how not far off libertarianism is to some of the political parties right now in existence in America. Mm-hmm. But what will it take for America to have a multi-party political system like other countries like France, like Belgium, like Argentina, because this is going on a long time now here that we have Republican ideology that is maybe uh, too uh, too big and, and the Democratic ideology that is too big and it just encompasses into two parties. What will it take for America to adopt a multi-party uh, political system? Um, I think that we are some distance from a multi-party political system just because of the kind of constitution that we've got. When there are single member districts where a majority of the vote gets the district, there is a powerful incentive for voters to cluster into two different political parties. And so uh, the result is that in each political party, you get a range of views. That's why Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin are in the same political party and why Marjorie Taylor Greene and Mitt Romney are in the same political party, because uh, that's the way in which the system divides. Um, Whether it uh, produces more effective government than a multi-party system, complicated question, and I uh, don't think that we are likely to shift to a parliamentary system anytime soon. So I think that we've got to work with the system that we've got. Well, Professor, you know, like I mentioned about the book, you can go get the book out now wherever books are sold, Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed. Again, wherever books are sold. And if you're a student in Northwestern, by the way, email us, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. I want to know more about how these constitutional law classes are over there for <laughs> Professor Andrew Koppelman. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Continue success to you, sir. Stay safe. And next time you have another book coming out, we'd love to have you back on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right, our thank yous there to Professor Andrew Koppelman. If you're a Northwestern student, again, the offer stands. Email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? We'll read on air uh, your love for the professor and any, any notes you had from there in that interview. Uh, but you can go check out his book in all seriousness, Burning Down the House, How Libertarian Philosophy Was Corrupted by Delusion and Greed. A bunch of cool stuff there with the professor. And obviously, head over to the Braid app. Download the Braid app. Follow me and Nick over on Braid. We do some more exclusive content with the, pref- the professor over there. Excuse me. About his book, about the subject overall. Uh, Nick, let's get into our final segment here. We're debuting a new segment here on the program, Nick. A new segment where each of us, for five minutes, five minutes, we time the clock, Nick, and we go out there and we just talk. It's a segment we're calling... Can I talk? All right, Nick, the floor is yours. Five minutes on the clock here. There is no clock, folks, but I am timing Nick in five minutes. I do. And if you're, if, if, you're, if you're driving, if you're listening to us right now, look at your phone, see what time it is, see in five minutes if Nick is still yapping. I guarantee you he will not be yapping. Nick, the floor is yours, whatever topic you want to discuss. 
Thank you. I, you know, today I'm going to go through a recent story that appeared. This is actually courtesy of Mississippi Today, which is actually a newspaper that we had talked about earlier with Anna Wolf when she was talking to us about the Brett Favre story. And again, Mississippi Today was the the, uh, outlet that broke that story. Never forget that. So recently, a colleague of hers, actually, this is Molly Minta, had written a story about State Senator Joey Joey Fillingham, Fillingham, and the senator was on the floor talking about House Bill 1125, which bans gender affirming care, including hormone therapy, puberty blockers and gender confirmation surgery for minors. Now, as he talked about, as the senator on the floor was talking about why he supports this ban, he says on the floor, I don't think it's often. I don't want to make it sound like it's rampant or happens a lot. But with one plastic surgeon friend of mine that I've spoken with in Hattiesburg this just this weekend, he confirmed that, yeah, I can't give you specifics, but yeah, I've done this, as in has done this procedure on minors. The person he was referencing was Dr. Paul Talbot, who is at the Plastic Surgery Center of Hattiesburg. And he recalls the different the conversation a little differently. It was a two minute conversation. The doctor said I was on one elliptical. He was on the other while they were exercising. The doctor mentioned to the state senator, I've never I've never done anybody of that procedure under the age of 18. He must have misheard that because, no, we've never done that. Never had someone ask me under 18 to do it. Never had someone under the age of 18 ask. Him. So why do I talk about a story in Mississippi? Because this is the problem when we have politicians at the local level or at the federal level that use exaggerated stories to drive home a point. There's a historical basis to this. Many of you may remember the story of Senator Joe McCarthy of Wisconsin, who in the 1950s, in an effort to scare further scare citizens about communism, famously had allegedly a list of people in a pocket, about 500 names of suspected communists, so much so that this led to a House committee on un-American affairs. Now, my details are a little fuzzy on this, but essentially, Senator McCarthy was able to basically drum up enough fear that the Congress essentially was finding ways of punishing people or at least taking a stand against communism. Now, whether you stand for that or not is your business, but it was all based on a lie because when pressed in the end, Senator McCarthy didn't have any names. Same thing like this state senator. Folks, if you're going to make an argument, Either have data that proves something is a trend or don't bring it up and just say you're supporting a bill because you're a bigot or you don't like communists, but just be open with it. I would much rather someone come on the floor and say, you know what, I'm going to put forward this bill or I'm going to support this bill because the people that it harms, I simply don't like. I have no data to back this up. I just don't like those people, but people won't do that because if you did, that would make you sound like a bit of a jerk. So all I'm asking for from both political parties or all political parties, libertarians included, is just be honest with us. If you don't like something just because you don't like it, don't lie about it. Just state the facts. And in this case, this state senator lied. And in the end, harms people who are pursuing those procedures, who have a right to pursue those procedures. And if you're simply being a bigot about it, at least own it. I like it. Um All right. Five minutes on the clock. And by the way, you were under five minutes. Good job there, Mr. Severi. All right. Five minutes on the clock for me. And my time begins now. 
Now, listen, folks, we're going to get into, we were talking about this with Professor Koppelman about a moral and economic dilemma. In the beginning of his book, there's a story about a fire that's happening. This guy didn't pay for fire insurance. Well, in the world of college sports right now, there's a story that is being talked about, but I don't know if people are bringing enough attention to it. Let me explain what I mean. If you don't know the story of Alabama freshman Brandon Miller, he's averaging close to 20 points per game this season for Alabama. They are the number one team in the land basketball wise, 25 and four. Uh, He had a game the other night with 41 points. He's been playing really great, probably will be a top 15 pick in the NBA draft this upcoming June. But two weeks ago, he helped his former teammate, who has since been kicked off the team, Darius Miles, by bringing a gun to him to kill Jamea Jonea Harris in Tuscaloosa. There was a nightclub shooting that involved Darius Miles and Michael Buzz Davis back a couple weeks ago. And Brandon Miller brought the gun that was used to shoot and kill this woman who was a mother of a five-year-old. Now, the dilemma gets into, is there something morally wrong versus is there something legally wrong? Alabama police have said that nothing is going to happen to Brandon Miller uh, because as of right now, he has done nothing criminally wrong. He has been complying with the investigation and helping investigators. However, uh, the basketball coach, Nate Oates, has said a bunch of different comments when this story first came out. The first comment he said was, look, he's done nothing wrong, and I can't control what kids do at night. Then he kind of backtracked from that. And obviously, a couple nights ago, when Alabama had a game, Brandon Miller was introduced to the crowd in his pregame intro. You know, the lights are dimmed low and players have handshakes, and his handshake was getting frisked by a police officer as one of the players mimicked being a police officer. I have a huge issue with what's happening uh, at the University of Alabama right now. And it's not really what you think it is because, again, there's a legal and there's a moral dilemma here. The legal side of this, investigators say there's nothing that he can be charged with right now. A lot of the text messages are code for something, at least to you and I and to people out there. Bring me my heat. The heat is in the hat. That means gun, right? In street terms. But again, to a jury, that is not actually the the smoking gun evidence of what those text messages mean. Um, And there's a bunch of different things that are happening here that I just feel like this story needs to be illuminated a little bit more. The fact that this kid is playing really well and the fact that he's a freshman, 18 years old, and he wasn't involved in this shooting is one thing. However, there's a life that's been lost in all this. And he did bring the gun that was used in this murder. Why is he still playing basketball for the university? And this is what Nick's point has been a bunch on this show when it comes to a bunch of different topics like this. We value currency, financial currency, monetary stuff over human life. Because in this example, the University of Alabama and the millions of dollars that NCAA March Madness tournament that will happen in a couple of weeks as of this taping and Alabama being the number one seed and the applications that will go to the roof because the football and basketball team play on national television and they're playing for championships. And here's a player that's going to potentially get them to where they want to ascend to, which is win a national championship in basketball and all the millions of dollars that will bring into the university is valued more than this young girl who lost her life because she didn't want to talk to one of those guys earlier that evening. That's the reason why this shooting happened. She was with her boyfriend and a friend. 
the two players that I mentioned wanted to talk to her. She did not want to talk to them. They came back later on, shot the car eight times, killing her. And yet here we have a player that his teammates, they're being taken care of by the legal system right now with respect to Chargers. They've both been kicked off the team, obviously. But he was complicit. To what extent the legal community has not determined that yet. But you have an obligation as the University of Alabama, the athletic director, the head coach. Think about if somebody that you worked with right now was involved in helping somebody commit a murder to the smallest extent like Brandon Miller was. Do you think that person would be working in the same cubicle next to you or the, the cubicle over, obviously not next to you? Do you think that that would be allowed in any other walk of life? We tend to value currency over humans. And it's the same scenario. We can get into the gun debate. I'm not going to get into that for the purposes of this. But the moral dilemma right now, why is Brandon Miller still playing basketball for the University of Alabama? All right, we leave it there. If you have anything on both of these topics that Nick and I just discussed, you can email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast at gmail.com. We want to read your takes on air. We want you to talk. Talk to us. I'm very interested to hear what people think about this story and also what Nick mentioned about the story in Mississippi. Support local journalists, all the local journalists over at Mississippi Today and, 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 and AL.com, uh, Alabama's uh, local website. Support those local journalists that are doing the great work in covering this stuff. Uh, video for our show, speaking of which, you want to support people that are doing content, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Can We Please Talk Podcast. You can see all the video interviews we've done of different guests that have been on this show, audio podcast platforms you know by now. Shout out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods, everybody who listens across all the different various platforms. Shout out to Braid. Download the Braid app. I mentioned it before about Professor Koppelman, but he we have done some great content over there on the Braid app, so you can head over to the App Store, the Google Play Store, and download that app. Follow Nick and I, nick.cwpt. Can we please talk, Mike? Follow us on the app. Let's join the conversation. Let's increase the awareness not only about Braid, but about some of the other stuff that we've been doing over on that app. It's a great app to use. I uh, can't thank each and every one of you for listening to the show. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.